sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. This is Rabbi Eric Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. This week we are joined by two very distinguished guests. Kevin Warren, Commissioner of the Big Ten, former CEO of the Minnesota Vikings, and Adam Newman, Chief of Staff, Strategy and Operations, and Deputy General Counsel of the Big Ten, graduate of Yeshiva University. This is very special because this is a very special welcome to the Big Ten out west. Uh, Commissioner Kevin Warren, great to see you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, great to see you, Rabbi. Good to be here. Thank you. And Adam Newman, great to see you, Adam. Thanks so much. Great to see you, too. Thanks for having us. So, uh, first of all, in our tradition, we say, You should come in peace. And we want to just thank you for the warm welcome to the Big Ten, UCLA, USC, right down the street down here in Westwood, a couple of miles from USC. So, uh, what do you have? Greetings to Los Angeles. What do you say? Yes, good to, uh, good to be here. Good to be on your show and your and your podcast. And, and we're excited about welcoming uh, two incredibly uh, spectacular and historical universities in, in USC and UCLA into the Big Ten family. I know it's a couple years off. There's a lot of work to be done between now and then, but we look forward to, uh, to the day that uh, we can uh, be all together. I just want to talk about world peace for a moment because we're really splitting our synagogue between Bruins and Trojans. So if we can do it, I think there's really hope for the future yeah, here yeah. as well. <laughs> any way, any way we can help, we're we're, we're interested in it. So, uh, but we're looking forward to having two incredible uh, new members to the Big Ten family. So in this podcast, I like to say that we don't talk about trade deadlines or box scores, but we talk about the heart and soul. And Commissioner and Adam, your stories are really about heart and soul. Two people from very different backgrounds coming together because of the love of the game, because of the love of the ball. And the reason I connected with both of you, or actually when, uh, Adam, you uh, followed me on Twitter, and on Twitter, you posted Commissioner Warren's letter on Big Ten Stationery to Coach Elliot Steinmans, the head of your coach of Yeshiva University, a friend of ours, a rabbi on the sidelines. And it wasn't just about the 50-game winning streak at Yeshiva University, but it was about, Commissioner Warren, your story growing up as an African-American in Arizona and your father's participation in the United States military about going over to Europe and seeing the devastation of the Holocaust. Can you share that story about how you first learned about Jewish people, the Holocaust, and the connection that we need to make between the African-American community and the Jewish community. Yeah, growing up, as you said, my father was a, a soldier in the military and, and uh, fought in uh, World War II. And, and uh, you know, around our tables, he, he ended up becoming, uh, you know, played college football at Arizona State and got his master's and doctorate degree from Arizona State. So he was really focused on education. My mother was highly educated, uh, was a school teacher, ended up being a librarian. She loved to read. So there were always encyclopedias and books. And, and But our conversations around the dinner table really focus on world peace and doing what's right and uh, equality and, and that people are all the same. And my dad uh, would share just some just very powerful, uh, very emotional stories about uh, the Holocaust and, and to to make sure to hold us all accountable, to make sure that that uh, this would never happen again. We talked about slavery. We talked about the Holocaust. We talked about many of these issues. Um, and then I ended up, one of my most dear friend uh, in high school uh, was a young woman by the name of uh, Abigail Klinger. And uh, her father was actually, uh, uh, you know, in, in the Holocaust in one of the, one of the uh, war camps. And so that, that even allowed me to go even deeper and, and learn about just the atrocities that, that, uh, that we, we had faced as a people. And so it's always been a center of my mind and in my heart and in my spirit and my soul to make sure that I'm doing everything we possibly can to break down walls, to build bridges between communities, between different races and, and religions and, and just different thought process to make this world a better place. And, and we just need to make sure that we stick together as a people put our differences uh, to the side, come together, and, and make sure some of these things that our country and the world has had to deal with, that we never let it allow for us, our children, or our children's children, to never allow this to happen again. And so, Adam, let's go through your journey, because you grew up as an Orthodox kid in Baltimore, and uh, you go to Yeshiva University, obviously Ryan Terrell, Tamir Goodman, that whole story really allows sort of the Jews to enter sports in the 21st century. What was your 
knowledge and really connection with the African-American community before you really entered the Big Ten into really major college sports? Yeah, I think growing up, it was uh, far more limited than it is now in the professional and in the business world, but still growing up in Baltimore, which is, you know, 65% population African-American community, it was certainly a, a big part of who we were. My mother had gone to public school and had certainly attended classes and had friends that were African-Americans. And growing up in my house, um, that's just not the way things were. We didn't see things in a silo where we were only intended to hang out with people with exact like-minded faith, but rather to search out and seek out and find people um, who we wanted to be friends with, who we could benefit from, who we could learn from. And, um, you know, that was my exposure to it. And then um, in the summer of uh, college, I spent a summer at Morgan State University, which is a historically mm -hmm. black college. And there were very few um, uh, Caucasian males or females on that campus. And that gave me just another really uh, unique opportunity to bond with people of different faiths, of different creeds, of different races. And uh, I just felt very from a young age from my parents and from my personal experiences that the bonds we build together with people of different faiths, of different creeds, of different races, um, that's the way we perfect this world. That's the way, um, at least from a Jewish standpoint of tikkun olam, of, you know, building our world together, of sharing like-minded ideas and, you know, perfecting who we are as people, generally speaking, of course. And so then you come together in a very interesting way with uh, Adam. You're writing speeches for Richard Joel, the president of Yeshiva University. You meet Mark Wilf, who's uh, the Wilf campus of Yeshiva University. Kevin's working with uh, the Wilf family and the Vikings. And one day you tell Mark Wilf, also media past president of the Jewish Federation of North America, um, I'm going to work for you one day. And then you meet Kevin. And as Kevin, as we like to say, as you wrote in your letter, it's Beshert. It was yeah. meant to be. Um, when did you, Kevin, realize that this young kid, Adam Newman from Yeshiva University, writing speeches for uh, Richard Joel, Yeshiva University, was going to be your deputy chief of staff when you really hit the big time? I mean, I, you know, they're, they're, I'm a big believer uh, that, like you said, for shirt and life, I, I truly my whole life has been epitomizes what probably the definition of a shirt, you know, is I'm a big believer that if you allow God and you trust God uh, to really work in your life, you know, I, I view God as as uh, 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 in a relationship where he uh, is not going to force himself on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gives you direction, whether it's through the Torah or the Bible or the Quran or whatever the case may be, as far as your path uh, to peace. But but he's he's, he's not going to be in your face. He's not going to force, uh, you know, force himself upon you. And but I'm a big believer when you see someone and when you're around someone who you truly believe who loves God, uh, who's not perfect, but who loves God. Um, and who is who has made the decision to truly let God connect the dots in their life? Uh, it's always attractive to me. So I would say even before and Adam and I started working together at the Vikings, even the way he communicated was in a manner that that his faith was was what kept him focused and centered in life. And then you know it's one thing for people to say it, and it's another thing for people right. to be about it. And I just watched his work ethic. You know, he was not your normal kind of summer intern. I mean, he, he he carried himself in the manner that he had been around there. He was really curious. He, he always asked, um, you know, which, which is attractive to me. I always like the people that, one, who are able to answer the third or fourth question. Because most people in life, I can say in business, uh, uh, can answer what I call the knowledge at a cocktail party, just generally speaking. But when you ask that second, third, fourth, fifth question, Adam was even as a, a summer intern was able to answer those questions, uh, and then he was curious about those questions, and so he was always there. I mean, I was always at the office, uh, and I don't think he did it intentionally. I think he was raised by two incredible parents in a household that said, "Do your best," and uh, and so I just watched him. And when you're around someone, even from an internship uh, uh, program, is that you take you take notice of that in regards to people work ethic. Cause so many times we, you hire interns and they come to an internship and they're, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but they're as much excited about hanging out in the city and going to nightclubs and, and, you know, going to baseball games, all that stuff is fine. But when Adam came to Minnesota, even his first year, then when he kept coming back, he was about the work, he was about the work and he was about his faith. And uh, his faith was really powerful uh, for me being 
him being an Orthodox Jew and, and, uh, and, and, and his Jewish faith so strong and watching uh, him, uh, how he kept the Sabbath sacred and would, you know, uh, would, would walk uh, to temple no matter how far away we were and stayed committed to a kosher diet and all those different things are, are powerful. Because what that says to me is that when someone makes a commitment mm-hmm. um, to do it and follow their faith and to, to live by it, regardless of how difficult it becomes as far as distance or food or all those different things, he was loyal. And he was faithful. And when you see people who are faithful to God, then then you know that they'll they'll be faithful to you. And so that's mm-hmm. something that I always uh, that was very impressive to me. His work ethic is incredible. He's quite naturally highly intelligent. Uh, he's curious. He asks questions. He's sincere. Uh, he's honest. And those are the kind of people that you can build championship teams around. I think you basically defined the word mensch, which uh, I think, uh, Adam, your parents would be very proud of you as well, but also our community as well. And Adam, speaking about everything that Commissioner Warren just spoke about, you gave a TEDx talk, I believe, to the yeshiva crowd. And this is what you said about one of the principles of sports of don't do you. And not only did you say don't do you, but you went into the tradition of the, of the story of Esther, another thing that actually Coach Bruce Pearl did during the Ukraine crisis as well. And this is what you said, and I'm going to talk about that not doing you. Look no further than Queen Esther. You think Esther wanted to go be with Ahasuerosh? You think that was her first choice? She could have easily said, whoa, I'm going to do me. That's my job. I'll do me. But no, she transcended herself. She decided to not just do her. She stepped out and she saved the Jewish people. Adam, how do you don't do you in the job that you're doing as an Orthodox Jew, as Deputy Chief of Staff of the, of the Big Ten? Well, uh, I think it starts from leadership at the top. Everything's about leadership, and that's why in my life I've always looked for leaders. Um, I tell people regularly the greatest honor in my life is being my father's son. Mm-hmm. Um, Commissioner Warren is what I would say loosely in Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, a, a seeker. He's someone who's consistently trying to do better in every area. It's not something that, oh, when it's convenient, I'll do better. It's not something when, you know, um, I see an opportunity, I'll try and do better. He's consistently seeking to do better in his interpersonal relationships, in his relationship with God, and in his relationship with his family. And for me to see that at the highest levels, when you would expect someone to not have that or to be jaded, I would say, in other professions that I've been in or to be around a lot of other famous people, quote unquote, or leaders. Uh, Commissioner Warren is quite the opposite. It's almost like when they tell you as a kid, um, as a kid, that's when you really could watch rated R movies. But as you get older, you should watch rated G movies because it's actually less appropriate. It's kind of like that. He's in the inverse. It's that as he gets stronger, as he makes bigger deals, as he as his character becomes even larger, not only in college sports, but in all of sports and all of United States of America and all of the world, he continues to remain grounded. He continues to care more about the details of people's life. I mean, this is the kind of person who's consistently calling people on their birthdays. This mm-hmm. is the kind of person who three weeks ago, we were speaking to one of the major media partners that we um, actually ended up doing business with. It was a Friday afternoon. He's in the midst of probably the largest negotiation of his entire life. And I call him and he writes, can I call you back in five? And I wrote back to him in a text. He probably doesn't remember this. I said, I actually can't. I'm making Sabbath in three. And about a minute and a half later, my phone's ringing and it's him. And I'm shocked because he doesn't need to call me back. He could just say, have a good Sabbath. He doesn't have to respond at all. But he calls me back to wish me a good Sabbath. And I thought about it after that happened and I wrote it down. And I can't think of a time since we've been working together on a Friday or before a Jewish holiday where he has not contacted me before to wish me a restful, peaceful, thoughtful, enjoyable break. And um, you ask about how to not be you when you're in an environment where everybody's allowing you to be you. And all mm-hmm. that you need to do is stretch. All that you need is a willing heart. All that you need is to follow the path that he outlines. You find yourself in a really good position to be. So your job is really not just about you, but in fact, it's about the student athletes. It's about these young kids, basically, 19 to 24 years old, coming together on a field, on a court, on the community and building that community. And what you just said about don't be you and how to be a leader, you really are advocating that on the biggest stage. This is what you said, Commissioner Warren, about why you really 
do what you do. And we'll talk about that in the next moment. Just the Wolf family, as you alluded to in the, uh, during the introduction, was to afford me, especially a black man, an opportunity to run all of their businesses uh, in Minnesota for 15 years was truly a blessing. So I came into college athletics uh, understanding of the importance and need, as Nita alluded to, of making sure that every decision we make is in the best interest of our student athletes. And that's the way that I start my morning in prayer. You know, we have nearly 10,000 student athletes and, uh, and I pray for the strength and the wisdom uh, and the tenacity to make sure that every decision that I make, that we make collectively is with the student athlete, you know, in mind. So we talk about the leap of faith, but we also talk about the leap of action. What does it mean to pray for the tenacity of these 10,000 student athletes and to show them that you have their best interest in mind? I mean, I, I've done, I've been on my uh, hands and knees and face already four times already today. Uh, that's how I, I start my day and I, I take breaks throughout the day uh, just to ask for guidance and wisdom and pray to, uh, for those, uh, for loved ones in my life and family and, and our senior leadership team, our school, their leadership, and ultimately our student athletes. And um, because I, again, I think the, the you know, prayers is so powerful because it allows you uh, quiet time and a time and energy to really listen to God. I mean, one of the things that I probably is, is most um, challenging for me is you, you know, your time in these jobs, these opportunities, I don't even call them jobs anymore, these platforms, uh, your time is not your time. And so I, I literally, and that's why I just, I savor, you know, I, I adore my wife and, and my children um, and, and, you know, my dear friends and family, but I savor that time with them. But uh, I, I really uh, also just embrace my prayer time and my workout time, because that's really the only time that I, I have to be, be in communion, you know, with God. And I, I'm one of those folks, you know, I get in the public, I get my meals interrupted. That, that doesn't bother me. That's okay. <laughs> I can stop eating and start back eating. But like my, my workout time, you know, that 45 minutes is kind of my time to really hear my, my kind of inner spirit and soul. That's why prayer time is so, you know, important to me. So I start my day on my hands and knees. I end my day on my hands and knees and I have those periods of time, you know, throughout the day. But I think that's the biggest challenge that I would say, and Adam and I have talked about this and I, my son went to a, a football camp probably well, seven, eight years ago and uh, one of the coaches gave a speech on the illusion of choice. And uh, it actually, uh, uh, it was so powerful. And, and, and as I studied that, what, what the, the, the message was, it was actually Coach Saban at mm -hmm. Alabama. My son had gone to a football camp there, and this was his closing comments to the campers. And he said, the, you know, the illusion of choice is that, you know, there's illusion that the more successful, the more desirous you are for success, um, the larger your footprint grows, all of those different things that, the more that becomes, the more you're blessed with that, that you actually have more choices. And But he called it the illusion of choice. It really is the opposite, that as your footprint grows and the more God blesses you and the more successful you become, and he was talking to these young high school student athletes. My son was, I think, going into a sophomore year. He said a lot of people here strive to you know, play major college football. You want scholarships, and you think as you start catching more touchdowns and making more tack tackles and being a better high school player, that you'll be able to do more. And it's just the opposite. You actually will be able to do less. And mm -hmm. I look at my life now, uh, I have exposure to more, but but what I can really do now is much less than I could do 10 years ago and much less than I can do 20 years ago and 30 years ago. It's the illusion of choice. And I think where a lot of executives or people get twisted around in the life, they believe the more money they make, the, the longer titles they get, the more access they, they have access to, um, the more people that they know, well, the more that they can do. And, and that's not the case. And so I know for me, you know, I'm in a perpetual, you know, fishbowl. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I say, folks, the on, only time that I can, I'll, I'll always be who I am, but the only time that I really can be 100% relaxed is when I'm in my, in my home, you know, environment with those people that I love and love and trust. And that's why I, um, like Adam plays such an important role because you need 
you know, individuals uh, like Adam in your life where you can uh, have have open and honest communication who will tell you the, you know, the truth. And and uh, and sometimes and I'm, I'm always, you know, just struck if you th- even think of the book of Job and the, the Bible, you know, when sometime when he was really sick, some of his friends, they didn't even talk. I mean, they would just go and sit with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I always, you know, always say, you know, say that is I can tell a true friend is that if we could, you know, could we could we take a six or eight or 10 hour car ride and not say anything and still be comfortable? I think that's when I really realized that my my wife Greta was and I were destined to be married because we didn't have to always be talking to each, you know, each other. And and I think you can really tell uh, how connected you are with someone uh, just even in their presence says so many words. So um, you know, and you need that because these seats are, they're hot, uh, they're mm-hmm. complicated, uh, they're lonely, and you need people around you. Unfortunately, I have individuals like Adam. Uh, I have one of my executive assistants, May Davis, who and I started working together 32 years ago, right when I graduated from law school. Um, another one, Emily Rooney, who's been with me for over 10 years. And then then my wife and, and my kids. And that that's, uh, you know, that support system is really you know, important because so many times you need just honesty, but so many times you just need people sitting in the room, you know, with you, uh, who can, who can, as I call, uh, grieve with you in a corporate manner, yeah. uh, just to be there, um, and just to hear you kind of think out loud. And cause there are many times, there are many days that I don't have the answers that I've prayed about and I trust that God will deliver the answers back to me. But it hasn't happened yet. But during that period of time, I just need some time to be able to to to, to communicate about that. And I don't need folks trying to give me the answers because the answer that I'm really looking for and waiting for will come from God. But to have individuals like Adam and his wife, Rachie, who are who are devout uh, and uh, and orthodox, uh, follow their orthodox Jewish faith so strongly and who pray for you and you pray for them. It's amazing how God will deliver the answer to all of us at the right time for the right reasons uh, for the right people. So it's interesting because on our high holy days, we say the prayer Shema Koleinu, which means God hear our prayer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to give us the answers. Sometimes actually the answer is no, we're just not hearing that. Um, and so you mentioned the book of Job, um, Adam, any uh, book that you look to in our, in, in the Torah or uh, to, for inspiration in the work that you do outside of the Jewish world? Yeah, I mean, I think I look a lot throughout the story of Moses and seeing his leadership style and seeing how difficult it was for him at first. You know, he had a lisp and uh, he was told he had to go to Pharaoh and say, you know, let my people go. He wasn't, you know, the ideal candidate for that. And, you know, you see his upbringing and, and where he was. And then, of course, even his internal strife sometimes with his brother and his sister, Um in, in matters of how he was treating his wife and how devout he had to be to God and the type of leader that he was and his humility, which was so striking because I think oftentimes you think of someone in a position of power, a number one, a commissioner, and you think of somebody who must have a big ego or must have, you know, very broad shoulders. And I think Moses taught us that um, leadership really is about humility and humility as Simon Sinek likes to say, is really just being open to the ideas of others. Um, and I think that's a really powerful way to think about humility because humility is not just about being meek. And when I think about the commissioner and I think about how intertwined the big 10 has become with my faith and how the type of leadership that he runs, um, I think he's, you know, the picturesque card for someone who's humble because he knows where it all comes from. He attributes it to God. He attributes it to his family. He attributes it to his friends. I mean, even now you're not going to catch him in a conversation where he's not going to push off some of the the praise to other people. That's just not the kind of person that he is. And I think that's the reason why, um, in my estimation, knowing him seven or eight years, um, he's been so successful because he has people that really want to work for him. He has people that want to grind for him. He has people that want to take bullets for him. You don't earn that uh, just because you exist. You don't earn that because you're powerful. You don't earn that because you have money. You earn that because of the respect you give to other people. You earn that by showing people that their dreams are part of your dreams. And that's why, I mean, heck, we prayed this morning at 7 a.m. together. And I mean, especially lately, one of his biggest dreams and one of his biggest charges has been keep your dreams on fire. You know, keep Mm -hmm. your dreams alive. And every time he says that, I feel a rush within me of, wow, like 
He's really thinking about my dreams. He's not just thinking about his. He's thinking about the community's dreams. He's thinking about the student athletes' dreams. And um, really, really powerful. I think it resonates very deeply with our constituencies. And really, another word for dreams is opportunities. And you know, just this past weekend with the Nebraska Northwestern not playing in Nebraska or in Chicago, but across the ocean in the United Kingdom, um, you speak about opportunities. And this is what you said about when the Big Ten grows, obviously more than 10 teams from Chicago to Los Angeles to New York, really a national movement. This is what you said it's really about. I've been a household of educators. My father was a student athlete at Arizona State, was a college professor at Arizona State. My mother was a school teacher and librarian. So academics is incredibly important to Greta, to me, to my family, to what I do on a daily basis. It's something that I take very seriously. So because of that, I always think through the opportunities, as you alluded to, Dennis, of not of the issues or the problems, but what are the opportunities that now that we are across four time zones, now that we do have schools in 2024 that will reach from New York, New Jersey to Los Angeles, what are the diff different cultural elements in each one of those environments? not only in the cities, but with their alumni, that we could even fortify our educational relationship with our student athletes. So, Commissioner, you said um, that you love to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And a lot of the decisions that you're making with the $7 billion TV deal or the expansion of the Big Ten, you're making a lot of sports fans uncomfortable in a comfortable way. But it's really about what you just said, about opportunity. So take the 15-year-old kid right now who's a great athlete who wants to join the Big Ten in two years. What opportunities are they going to see educationally about the world that will make their life different when they leave the field? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing for me, Adam has heard me say this before, and it's probably being a lawyer that I, I every time I get ready to start, um, say, the process of a deal or the makings of a deal, I always, you know, will almost mentally, and sometimes I do it physically, you know, what, what is, what, what is, what is the, what's the press conference look like? Well, what what does the press release look like? You know, what what do uh you know what does the term sheet look like? This is even before we start the communication. So I think it's a big uh, it's 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 important for us as leaders in all industries, but especially in the sports industry, to make sure that we, you know, keep the kind of the end in mind for our student athletes. And 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 I give you know an example. I was fortunate to play my first couple of years in college uh, basketball at the University of Pennsylvania. Right. And so I went to school at 17. I turned 18 in November. You know, we played in the Suntory Ball, uh, which I believe was uh, it was in December. So I, it was one month after my 18th birthday. I had just turned 18 years old. I didn't have a passport. I had never traveled abroad. And um, um, and so to, to be able to get a passport and we played in the Suntory Ball in Japan and it was University of Pennsylvania versus Oregon State and Louisville. It was a, it was a round robin tournament. We played. Oregon State, and then we played uh, Louisville. Louisville, I believe, was number one in the country. Uh, they had had a recent national championship. And so as a true freshman, to be able to tie those red shoes up and go on that court in Japan um, and to play, you know, played six minutes as a true freshman, had just had my 18th birthday, scored six points. But I remember calling my parents from the hotel, and, and, and I don't know why I just remember this number, but the call when I checked out of the hotel, the, the phone call, and at the time it seemed like so much money, and it was, the phone call was $26. Because I actually, charge, you know, that's pre-cell phone, so you had to call. I'll collect. But, but I was so moved to be in Japan playing college basketball, and I just had to call my, you know, my parents and, and, and my, my dad. And so a lot of my redeem money was eaten up by that one phone call. But it was such a powerful moment. And why do I share that story is what that, that one trip to Japan, going on the subway there and, and going to different districts, and um, it, it shrunk the world for me. And, 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 and it showed me that, yeah, individuals may look differently, they may speak differently, but they're all the same. They all want to be loved. They all want to be encouraged. They all want to be empowered. They all want to be told uh, they can be great. Um, and so, therefore... I know how important it is, you know, some of the things we've been blessed to do under, you know, Adam's leadership with, with mental health and wellness and mm -hmm. having the game in Ireland, I was able to go over, over the weekend. It was a fast trip, but to see these young student athletes on Nebraska Northwestern 
and 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 some of the older you know coaches just to embrace this opportunity to go to Dublin uh, for to, to learn and to grow what we did in Selma Alabama and Montgomery Alabama this summer with the Equality Coalition I'm just a big believer is that the more that we can provide platforms for our student yes. athletes their families to be in and around um, opportunities to grow that you become a more of a a whole person and so travel is important as Adam started off uh, as he spent that time at Morgan State spend the time with those who may be different uh, from you part of the reason why why uh, racism can take hold is that if you if you never have an environment to meet the people who you're not supposed to like yes that's how racism works and and so people who want to promote racism don't want different people to meet because when you meet them, you realize they really are the same. They have the same mm -hmm. interests. And that's why if you notice, you look at young kids, you go to a kindergarten class, uh, a first grade class, second grade class, there is no racism mm -hmm. because it's, it's a learned behavior. And so what the system, the sooner we can recognize that that the way that you can build, uh, you know, racism and tell, tear this world apart by the seams is that you keep people separate. But I guarantee you on these calls, if, if you were able to pour out what's in your heart and yep. Adam can pour out what's in his heart and I poured out uh, um, um, my heart is is that there are all kind of issues. We're dealing with personal issues. We're dealing with family issues. We're dealing with spouse issues and parent issues and in-law issues and kid issues and all those different kind of things. And so the more that we can come together and talk and back to the book, book of Job, one of the reasons why I, I mean, I love the Bible, but that, you know, that book is, does something because you look how he started, you know, he was the man. I mean, he had it, he had it all, uh, but he went through that period in his life where he lost it all. Mm -hmm. But you look at the end of the book of Job, the reason why I like it so much is that basically he was blessed with double. I mean, he ended up getting a, a double portion. Uh, and, and why? It's because he held in there. So I'm a big believer I not only love storytelling, but I'm a big believer in the stories of people's life. And the people that I really admire and respect are those individuals that who have a story. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if I meet with someone or interviewed with someone or talk with someone or someone says, I want to work at the Big Ten, and I ask them and they say, oh, yeah, I was born and that was great. I've never scraped my knee and never got a tooth knocked out and it just everything went perfectly well. There's nothing that I you know, struggle with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too interested in them being around me because I know, you know, this world is, it's all about, it's, it's all, it's, it's, that's why I love sports so much. It's about, you know, you watch a football game, but especially a basketball game, it's always about like one who can create the run and who can withstand the run. Mm -hmm. And those were really the best basketball teams I have been on is that we could create a run but then we can withstand a run. And there's so many pe people in life who are able to participate in the run if someone creates it, but they can't withstand the, the, the run. And there may be games that you're up, you know, 18 points, and then you're, they cut the lead to 12, and it goes up to 18, and they cut it to four. And, and, and that's how the, the essence of life, and that's really what the last couple of years here at the Big Ten was. You know, people, uh, not Adam, but there were many people like people ask me right now, am I surprised to be sitting where we are with, you know, incredible network partners and being blessed with USC and UCLA and the conference doing well and volleyball media days and basketball media days and football media days and top rate teams. I'm not surprised. Um, but there are a lot of people who during that period of COVID, you know, they 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 gave up. They really did gave, give up. They didn't think we would be able to make it. So those are the things I not only admire, but I really look for people in a time of crisis, because that's when you get an opportunity to understand what kind of person is made of anyone, you know, anyone, if I call anyone and said, Hey, you want to ride with me? Cause we got a huge announcement to make where we're, we're signing, you know, a very creative uh, media deal where, or we got a huge announcement, USC and UCLA are coming. There are a lot of people who put on a nice suit or a nice dress and go with you to be there. But mm -hmm. those aren't the people that's the easy part. The people that I want to uh, have around me are in the middle of COVID when literally your back is against the wall and there are not any medical answers, that, that it really is just prayers, faith in God is trying to figure yes. out what's the right thing to do. 
and always remembering that you're doing this for the student athlete, that those are people that I want. And I'll tell you right now, they're, they're, there's a handful of people, they know who they are that, that stood there with me, you know, my mm -hmm. family and then certain people at, at the office like Adam who, who held in there. But there are a lot of people who ran for the ran for the shade trees and were kind of yep. looking around the tree. And then once the you know once it got better, then they came out and said we were all there, always there with you. Uh, but they really weren't. And so I'll, I'm always you know intrigued and, and attracted by those people who are sturdy and who are in there when the sun is out, but who are in there when the turbulence is heavy. And that's how you build a relationship that lasts forever. So one of the opportunities you mentioned is travel and that you, the idea that it shrunk the world. And one team that did that, I think, pretty amazing was actually Auburn with Coach Bruce Pearl, who took his team of mostly African-American athletes to the land of Israel with ESPN, with Jay Billis, with Roxy Bernstein, the pictures that he was posting in Bethlehem with the Arab community, with the uh, African-American kids uh, baptizing the Jordan River. And that story was really telling, not just to the Jewish community, but also to the outside world. And he just mentioned that uh, he's trying to get other college teams to take that trip. Adam and Commissioner Warren, do you see that happening with maybe some Big Ten teams in the next couple of years? I, I, I'm a big believer that any time you can expand and grow, always look for the positive energy. One thing COVID taught us is that, you know, the classroom is important, but there's so many other ways to learn. And so we're constantly looking for opportunities on an international basis to, to, to provide our student athletes with an opportunity to to, to learn and to meet new people. And, and that's what makes the Big Life Series so special is, you know, there are individuals, you know, this summer when we went to Selma, Montgomery, Alabama, had never had never really been into the South and who had kind of, you know, heard about and understood it at a high level about, you know, slavery and, and lynchings and, and racism. But to really go and go through the uh, that experience and you know, realize that 54 mile walk. And then, so one of the things I challenge myself on and everyone on the trip, I asked everyone like, what are you willing to walk 54 miles for yes. over a five day period? I mean, really, are you, are you so, when people say, I believe in voting, really? Are you, would you, would you have been willing to walk 54 miles uh, against opposition? Do you, do you believe, or do you believe in voting when you can get in your car and drive to the polls and vote, put a little red sticker on your jacket and says, I voted. Um, but, 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 you know, if you had a, a sick child or a sick spouse, would you walk 54 miles to get them a treatment to save their life? Yes. And so that's always the judge. I, I want to know what people are willing to walk, you know, 54 miles for, uh, um, and, uh, and, and, and how, how that moves them. So I want to ask one last question about your childhood and then one final question about the three, um, really agendas that you have within the Big Ten, financial literacy, voter registration that you just mentioned, and Adam with the mental health, uh, mental health and wellness. As a child, something that really shaped your life was in a, being in a hospital bed because I believe you were hit by a car and you called it pool time. And that time in the pool that really allowed you to think about life was all about really led to a lot of the faith that, as you said on HBO Real Sports, Brian Gumble that faith really has directed everything that you have done and led to the success that you've spoken about over this last, uh, this last several minutes as well. And then you also say 1440. It's a number I never heard. I've heard 247. I heard 365. The 1440 are the number of minutes in the day. How does the experience that you had as a child, almost losing your life, allow you to be grateful for the position that you are in today and valuing that 1440 in your life? Yeah, because I think I think I, what the lesson I take away from it is so many times in life, and that's just the way the world is. We're conditioned to focus, kind of like we just talked about, on the big stuff. But some of the greatest moments in my life are, you know, the the smallest segments of time. And you know, you you, you always think about just how just a little bit can change your life, positive or negative, either or the way. You know, if that car was going one more mile faster, would I have survived? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, maybe that would have just been that extra speed that would have killed me. Um, you know, and when the doctor did surgery on my leg and other parts of my body, if, if they were just a little bit, when he reset my leg, um, if it had been, you know, just a little off and it didn't set properly. I mean, those are things that I really, you know, think about. I mean, you know, even me and my wife, you know, Greta, I mean, you think about that. I take a job. I'm at Notre Dame. I have a job to go to back to Phoenix. I accept this job from Mike Slide, Mike Glazier. Um, 
that goes to Chicago, but even before I graduated, moves to Overland Park, Kansas. You know, mm-hmm. I think about those different things. What happened to Mike's life had kept his law firm in Chicago? You know, I don't meet Greta. We don't have kids. You know, your life changes. So I'm always thinking about those little, when you say 1440, I wouldn't have a Super Bowl ring and a Super Bowl trophy if Mike Jones doesn't make a tackle on the one-yard line. Mm-hmm. So you think all the season, I tell people, we have five Hall of Famers. We got a Hall of Fame coach. We scored the most points. We're the greatest show on turf. We were, you know, had uh, 13 and three. We, I mean, all the thing, and it comes down to one tackle on the one-yard line. And if Mike Jones doesn't make that tackle, he makes a misstep. He misses the tackle. We lose that game. People don't remember it. So I think that's one of the reasons why the 1440 means so much to me is that what are what are decisions today mm-hmm. that may come in a split second or may seem like one innocuous meeting or one phone call that just seems like a normal phone call that morphs into something that changes, you know, changes the world. And so I just I, I just want to make sure I think that's why it's really important, I know, for me to always be try to be in the moment, but try to be really focused because that one decision uh, can 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 make make the world great. And, and, I, and, I, and I hope as we look back 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, I hope 100 years from now that people are saying, you know what, the Big Ten between 2020 when Kevin started there, when however long I work here, made some decisions that 100 years later yeah. are still are still changing the world. Mm-hmm. So one of those is mental health and uh, awareness as well. We here at Sinai Temple during COVID started a Sinai Temple Mental Health Center, which was pretty revolutionary for a synagogue in these days. You go outside of the faith world and do that stuff. Adam, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis to help the mental well-being of athletes who are under a lot of pressure to not just perform, but to um, take their skills to the highest level? Yeah, athletes are under for certain, a unique amount of stress and have a unique amount of mental health issues that need to be confronted. I think we're seeing that across the board globally, but we're also seeing it specifically with student athletes. One of the deliverables that the commissioner had was to basically take two terrific individuals uh, from all 14 of our institutions and uh, put them on a cabinet, which had never been done before in all of intercollegiate sports. And uh, with the sole goal of trying to improve mental health, mental health and wellness on campus. And to date, we've done a lot of great things. Each campus has increased therapists on campus. We've increased uh, practice measures um, that are related towards mental health and wellness. We've uh, distributed the Calm app, which is a relaxation application to over 19,000 members of our Big Ten family, including every single full-time working member of the athletic departments, all student athletes, all of our conference staff. And something that's really poignant to me that should give you insight into how we view mental health is I remember Kevin and I were thinking, as he alluded to earlier, you know, what's the ribbon cutting, right? Like what's, what's the Nirvana? What's the Disney role? What does this look like in the end? And Kevin turned to me and he said, one person for one moment in time, feeling a little bit better. That's Mm. it. That's how we'll know if we've been successful. And, um, I don't need to tell you how many letters and emails and text messages we've received. We're nearing 1 million total sessions. So not just downloads, like viewable sessions on the call map. Uh, we've received letters about how it's been life-saving. But for us, once again, I mean, when, when, when you're able to have that goal of one human being doing a little bit better for one moment in time, it really, in, in Kevin's words, it shrinks the world. It starts making you realize on that end that everybody's struggling. How can we make sure they're struggling a little bit less? So we're continuing to build programming around it. We're hoping to have an on-site visit with all of our wonderful practitioners um, from our, across our Big Ten institutions around our football championship game. Um, again, to show the equal importance of not just playing football in our highest revenue generating sport, but also the importance of ensuring that our community is, is healthy and well. And uh, I'll conclude with this, and it's really Kevin's story, but you mentioned the bike and the pool time. But when Kevin was in the hospital, um, I think for over a year in Arizona, he, he recalls not fondly that almost nobody asked him at any point how he was doing mentally. I mean, they, they would check in on him and ask, you know, how's the femur? How's the leg? How are you feeling? How is this happening? What are you eating? Um, but no one said, like, how are you feeling emotionally from a whole life? You know, almost taken away, you know, in one of those 1440 moments. And now you're here. And, and what's next? And what's next is not clear at all. What's next is not something that was given. It wasn't promised. And for Kevin to maintain that belief 
And to see that belief at such a young age now inform the way that he leads now, I mean, that's where you're starting to see a person develop. That's where you're seeing the, the graduation of a human being. And I think that's why when Kevin mentions that some people kind of fell off the ship and weren't as invested when things were a little bit tougher, that's why for the people that are in line and the people that are family and the people that are looking him in the eye and telling him the truth and feeling that connection to his leadership style, that's why that never wavers. And what's ironic about that is that even in the darkest moments, it still doesn't waver. It doesn't even begin to flicker or waver because you just know in your heart that this is the person you want to be working with. This is the leader that's inspired the people around you. And this is why the Big Ten is finding itself in an incredible position with great success, especially over these past few months. So, Commissioner Adam, leave us with a blessing in this uh, podcast about faith and sports. What's the blessing to the people watching, the people interested in what's next? Adam, you can go first. <laughs> I'll be a little bit repetitive, but I'll tell people, keep your dreams alive. You know, don't don't give up on them because things get tough. It's not easy. There's no easy path to get anything that you want, whether it's personally or professional. It's really challenging. And if you allow those challenges to allow you to settle for something or live something a little bit mediocre, you'll you'll be sad for it. And what you should do really is surround yourself around people who will help you challenge yourself and say, that's not your dream. That's not what you told me you wanted a year ago. Did something change? And if it didn't change, is it, did it just get old? Did it, did it lag? Did you not have the inspiration? How's your prayer life? How are your friends? How are your family? So, you know, my prayer for this group and, and for those listening is just keep your dreams alive, really just pronounced and alive. Put them on a bulletin board, write them down, write them on your hand, talk to your family about them. Don't be ashamed about them. Kevin has a, co- a concept that I love. He calls it the dream chuckle. And what he says is that if you tell someone your dream, and I'll pick on accountants only because my parents are accountants, and I say, hey, mom, dad, I really want to be an accountant when I get older. And they go, yeah, that kind of makes sense for you. You're probably not leaving past the shore. You're probably right in those shallow waters. But if you go to your mom in ninth grade and you say, mom, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to walk on the moon. And then people start laughing a little bit. They can't really appreciate it. They don't understand what's happening with you. That's when you know you're really getting somewhere. You know you're testing people's boundaries. You know that you're finding a dream. So you know, one of the one of the great things about this conference, and I think what we're doing for our student athletes is we're keeping people's dreams alive mm-hmm. on and off the field because we know that a lot of them will not be playing sports, you know, once they graduate. But we want their dreams alive. We want them well and we want them flourishing. We want this conference to be a launching pad for the rest of their careers and for them to look back and say, wow, during those four or five years and now with transfer and COVID six years, um, they, they, they found time to keep their dreams alive, to clear, burning. Mm-hmm. And this is what launched them to do what was next. I mean, Adam said it great. I think the biggest thing, Rabbi, is that, you know, people have to understand that, that um, you know, life is a challenge. And, and uh, if you're looking for a quick fix, um, that it doesn't work that way. And I, I, I say this to my kids, my children, my personal children all the time, is that my mom would always say, keep your hand in God's hand. That if your hand is in God's hand, that you really don't have anything to worry about that you, you just need to go with the plan. And so when it looks shaky and it's, and it's cloudy, that you got to realize, so that's what I ask myself, is my hand in God's hand today? I asked myself mm-hmm. that this morning. And if the answer is yes, then I don't have anything to worry about. Now, if you ask yourself, is your hand in God's hand and the answer is no, then yeah, you probably do need to worry. But just keep your hand in God's hand. And, and he, he has a, such a beautiful way of constantly winking at us. And that's why that's when I know that I'm on the right track. Even in the middle of COVID, every woman, when we were getting, I was getting death threats and, you know, people were calling for my head and my job and, you know, everything that every once in a while, you know, God would, 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 would uh, give what I call a God wink to carry me to the next day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then now as I look back over it, you know, I was able to survive, you know, not for my education or intelligence or who I knew or hard work. It was because my hand was in, you know, God's uh, uh, hand. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in that and just looking for those constant lessons. It may be, you know, a child. It may be a kind word from someone, something that you see. I remember my wife and I were, 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 uh, were in London a couple months ago during Wimbledon because for our 30th wedding anniversary she loves tennis is a 
tennis player and it's something we had planned to do. It was right in the middle of this USC UCLA, right literally the day that we got the final commitment, the 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 day that I was scheduled uh, uh, to have conversations and to wrap all this uh, up. It was it was it was the day right before the vote we were going to take with our chancellors and presidents. It was not a fate I complete that this would work. There were a lot of moving parts. You know, California was eight hours behind. I mean, it was moving apart. And 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 I was in deep prayer that morning. I got a great workout. Um, and I and in between uh, matches, it's like the, the rain held off and then it was raining. Um, and I was walking into a house in London. And all of a sudden, I looked up and there was a rainbow. And I was like, why? I mean, I get emotional talking about it because I was really concerned, um, didn't lose faith. But, you know, we a lot of people were putting their careers and reputation, you know, on the line. This was impacting people's lives. I was taking that to heart. And I was praying all day, even at Wimbledon throughout the day saying, God, you know, please give me a sign that we're doing the right thing for the right reasons for our student athletes that, that I'm not missing anything. Just please speak to me. I mean, the whole day and I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't hearing back. My, my soul was, was still like, I, I hope this is the right thing to do. I believe it is. It says it is. And then all of a sudden I saw probably the most beautiful rainbow that I've ever seen in my life. And that was affirmation that this is the right thing to do, that they finished strong. Uh, we voted the next morning. And uh, it, because, uh, you know, with the time change, everything, you know, passed. And and so those are things that I just would encourage people, that God is constantly speaking through us, through so many other people in so many other different ways. And just don't lose hope. Keep your hand in God's hand. Believe in God. Trust God. Let him or her connect the dots uh, for you. And uh, and just just enjoy life because it does go fast. So you took the words not out of my mouth, but actually out of the words of our tradition in Hebrew, Ner Adonai Nishmata Adam, that the soul, the fire burning from God, is actually the candle of God within the soul of each human being. That, my friends, is what we have seen this morning here. Rabbi on the sidelines, Commissioner Kevin Warren of the Big Ten, Adam Newman, Chief of Staff of the Big Ten. We are so excited to join you on your journey with USC UCLA here out in California. We hope that when you come to uh, L.A., we're going to be uh, hosting you here at Sinai Temple and having amazing conversation of faith and sports. Commissioner Adam, it's so great to have you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.